0: Good morning. Um, So, I want to give a a warm good morning to everybody who is joining us here in person and also extend a warm good morning to everybody who is joining us online. Um, I'm so glad that you're able to be with us and a special welcome to the kids as well. We know that this is a sort of strange time to be sitting in with mom and dad on the services, but we're super glad we're here. I'll give you a couple of announcements before we get started. Um, We were doing them at the end of the service last time, so for those of you who are watching live, um, you might have missed them. So here here are the ones for this week. Um, If you're new, we'd invite you to uh, hit the connect button up at the top, and if you're here with us in person, we'd love to get to know you, Um, but it's easy in a setting like this, so really looking forward to chatting uh, afterwards. Um, uh, On Wednesday at 7 a.m., which I think is now before the sun rises, uh, you can join us on Zoom uh, for a time of prayer. Um, and it's something that we started back in March, and it's been really cool to see actually a number of you uh, joining us uh, on that Wednesday morning and praying together on Zoom. And you can, we can talk together. We can have prayer requests together because of Zoom. And um, uh, if the, the link for that is in the weekly email, or you can find it on our social media. Another thing is that we're doing explaining faith today. So explaining faith is a a, a place to explore Christianity uh, and explain faith, and that's going to happen at twelve thirty in the in the room beneath me. Um, and the topic is uh, around atheism. So last week we had somebody who was an atheist come and present why they're not an athe- or why they are an atheist. And this week it's more of the sort of response side of that. Um, is everything okay, Rafaela? In terms of we're live and we're going. Okay. Um, and uh, one more announcement is that uh, Acts 29. Do you have one of those cards? Can I have one of those? Um, we passed out cards on your um, chair. Acts 29 Canada is a family of churches that we are part of, of church planting churches. And in your weekly email, there was a video. So we'd invite you to watch that video. And what we are doing is we are participating in an initiative called Reach Canada in which we're hoping to raise $42,000 for seven different church plants across Canada. And the type of places that these churches are being planted range from First Nations communities all the way to um, a disadvantaged community of low-income housing right here in our own city. Um, And so, yeah, check out that video and please ask the Spirit what He would have you give towards that initiative to see His gospel go forward and to see churches planted all across Canada. Um, And so those are the things that I wanted to make you aware of uh, this morning and from an announcement perspective. So here's what you can expect um, here today, is that what we are going to do is I'm going to uh, pray for us, I'm going to read scripture, and then I'm going to preach for about 30 minutes. Um, And then the second half of what we're doing, we're going to say goodbye to our live stream at that point, um, and we're going to take communion together, um, and we're going to have some discussion questions in which we can process through what is the Spirit saying to us and opportunities to pray for each other and that sort of thing. And so there's almost two halves to what's happening this morning. Um, So if you will, if you have your Bible, I would invite you to turn with me to Exodus chapter 34 and verse 6. So Exodus 34 and verse 6 and 7. It's a very uh, short passage we have in Exodus. And as Christians, we believe that the Bible is the word of God, it's a living, it's a live document, and then it can speak to us. And so um, let me read Exodus 34 and verse 6. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands forgiving iniquity and transgression of sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. So this is uh, God's word. And now I'd invite you to join me in a time of prayer that God will prepare our hearts for what we are about to receive this morning. Um, Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to be under the sound of your word. Would you open our ears to hear what you would have to say to us? Lord, would you make us people full of loyal love and faithfulness, most of all for you, but also for the people around us, our neighbors? Lord, help us to be a church that cares about the needs of those around us. Lord, we pray for the needs of those around us, the needs in our own church, but also in our city. We pray for people who are hurting today, people who have been impacted by job loss or this disease or injustice or the many things that are going on. Lord, would we sense you as present and with us this morning? Would they sense that of you? I ask that you would move by your spirit and be with us today. In Jesus' name. Amen. So let's get started. If you have your Bible, I'd invite you to turn, or you can scroll with me, to Psalm chapter 1. Psalms is a book full of poetry. And the very first psalm in it lays out a contrast. The contrast is between a righteous man and a wicked man. And it uses an illustration in doing that that I want to use today. The righteous man is said to be blessed by God. And in verse 3, it says that he is like a tree. That's the illustration. The righteous man is like a tree planted by the streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. That is, it's ripe, got fruit coming every year. And its leaf does not wither it's evergreen. And all he does prospers. And then in contrast to it, it says in verse 4, the wicked are not so. They're like the chaff that the wind drives away. Or it says in 5, they will not stand. And so you have this contrast laid out in this passage. And it's as if it's posing this question, how can You and I, in the face of all the winds of temptation and the trials of life, stay steadfast, firm, and strong like this tree. Right? If you've ever been outside on a windy day under a big tree, if you listen closely, when the wind blows, you can hear the tree creak (laughs) under the sound, the pressure of the wind how can we remain faithful? This is something, and resilient, this is something we we wonder in a season of destabilization, in which we're under all sorts of new pressures that we haven't faced before, right? Pressures around this virus, pressures around, am I going to still have my job next week? Pressures around, oh, we got to socially isolate, and there's this pain of isolation. Pressures around I mean, there's an election happening in a few weeks in a country south of us, and there's a lot of anxiety that's associated with that. And so the question we get when we are faced with all of these sorts of things, it was, well, how am I going to get through this? How am I going to get through this? How am I going to remain steadfast and firm and faithful and true in the face of all of these pressures Like this righteous man? And we might think, well, okay, we need to then study the character of this resilient, righteous man. But actually what this text says is, no, you not need to look to the attributes of this righteous man. You need to look to the attributes of a faithful God. And that's what he does in verse 2. It says that he delights in the law of the Lord. That is the Torah of Yahweh. And this is what we're attempting to do in this series, isn't it? That we are attempting to delight in Yahweh. We're asking this question, who is God, each week? Because when everything is moving and when everything feels destabilized, we need a fixed point of reference to look to. Something that is sure and doesn't move. And that's who God claims to be. And so that's why we're in this series, Who is God? God, in a period of destabilization, we're looking week by week, each week, at a different attribute of who God says he is, who he reveals himself to be, in this passage of the Torah, Exodus 34. The first attribute we saw was that God has a name. He's not just mysteriously, abstractly unknowable. No, he says, I am personal, and my name is Yahweh. The next week, we saw that he's a God above all other gods. He's creator. He's sovereign. That with him, we have nothing to fear. Without him, we have everything to fear. Then we saw that he's compassionate and gracious, that he cares about you. In Jesus, we have the most approachable and understanding person who ever walked the face of this earth. Last week we saw he's slow to anger, that he's not willing that anybody should perish. He's patient in that sense. But his anger is perfect. It's measured against injustice and sin, including ours. This week we read that he is abounding in love and faithfulness. So he's compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. That's what the text says I'm using here. But I would ask you, what does your text say? In your Bible, Exodus 34 and verse 6. Can I have a couple people give me some responses? Mm-hmm. Steadfast love and faithfulness. Anyone else? More steadfast love and faithfulness. Probably using the same translation. That's okay. Okay. Um, Another one is loving kindness in truth. Um, But what I'm going to do today is I'll start by unpacking these two words, the love and the faithfulness uh, words. So first, the steadfast love or the love. You might have noticed what I was trying to do by having you read your translations was point out that different translations use different words. So you get like loving kindness, you get uh, loyal love, steadfast love, unfailing love. Why? why? Well, I'm not a Hebrew scholar, but Hebrew scholars say it's because there's no one English word that is the equivalent of the Hebrew word used here, which is hesed. And that when you study hesed, says one scholar, you see how love and loyalty can be combined in one word. In other words, hesed is more than what we mean when we just say love and it's more than what we mean when we just say loyalty no it's loyal love i had the opportunity at preaching uh giving a little sermon at my my brother and my brother-in-law and my sister's wedding a few years ago good to see you paul paul's here this morning with us what a surprise good one um and paul is a mechanic you'll find out and he owns a couple of really cool shops and so at Paul's wedding, I wanted to explain God's loyal love in a way that mechanics would get easily, right? Because that's just, it's cool to put it in terminology that we can relate to every day. And uh, so I used the example of a two-stroke engine. <laughs> I said that God's love is like a two-stroke engine that in a two-stroke. You need, Paul, tell us. What do you need to run a two-stroke? Yeah, yeah. Yes, and... Oil, Yeah. See, he knows more than me. This is good. Um, you gas and oil to run a two-stroke engine. If you don't have gas, the engine won't start. If you don't have oil eventually mixed in with your gas, the engine will burn out. Loyal love has said, God's love, in a marriage, Christian marriage is meant to be a reflection, one of the ways we reflect God's loyal love. Christian love in a marriage is meant to be like that, that you can, if you have love without loyalty. It can be passionate, but it's not enduring. Right? Eventually, it will burn out. There's no oil. <laughs> and if you have loyalty without love, well, it's binding, but it, it's dry. Right? It's like you have no gas. And so God is described as having loyal love together, His hesed has as one. And this is one of the ways you can think of what this means is that this means he's not flaky like us in his love. I checked flaky. It's in the Urban Dictionary. It's a real thing. People, it's, it's about kind of giving up on commitments and responsibilities. We say somebody is flaky when they, they drop the ball on things. You know what I mean? This means God's not flaky in his love. He doesn't bail like us. Um, and I've, you know, I've built on all sorts of stuff in my lifetime. I feel like I've even seen the change in my own lifetime. We bail on events, right? And I, you get this text, it's like, hey, sorry, um, I don't think I'm going to make it. <laughs> I remember um, for years I organized, when I was in high school, a ski weekend every year. And people would like, commit by email weeks in advance. And then the last year we organized it. I mean, this was the reason it was the last year, is that the day of, we got a text from a vanload of people that we were sharing the cost with hey, sorry, I don't think we're going to make it. (laughs) And I mean, this is just a really silly example of the sorts of ways in which, right, we fail to keep our promises all the time. We bail on commitments so easily. We don't even think about it. I've done it. My generation in particular, I think, is notorious at this. Um, We bail on stuff like jobs, right? Uh, If I think about my grandfather, My grandfather worked the same job his whole life at Firestone Tires in Akron, Ohio. His whole life. And I'm like, I just turned 30 this year and I've already majorly changed jobs, if not career paths, multiple times. The average person changes jobs every 4.2 years might be good reasons to change jobs. I'm just saying we bail, though. There's a certain way that's not good. We bail on jobs all the time. We also bail on friendships. I feel like the statement that friends are friends forever is really just something you find on Hallmark cards now or cheap bracelets. We bail on marriages. I mean, the list could go on, right? In other words, we lack what God is talking about here. That's his hesed, his loyal love. And it's this kind of love that sets the God of the Bible apart. So it comes up again and again. Psalm 136. Anybody know what Psalm 136 repeats over and over again? Yes, for the steadfast love of God, his steadfast love endures forever. 26 times you read that line. You see, he created the universe for his steadfast love endures forever. And he sustains it in this way, for his steadfast love endures forever He delivers his people from slavery, for his steadfast love endures forever. He crushes their oppressors, for his steadfast love endures forever. This is the loyal love of God to his people. In other words, it's not this sort of like, well, touchy-feely, whimsical sort of romantic thing. No, it's much greater, it's much deeper than that, in that it moves God to create and to sustain and to pursue injustice and to redeem the strong, loyal, love. God's has said is relentless and sure and true and faithful. That's the first word, has said. And you'll see, I even said the second word when I said that, faithful. His love is faithful, loyal, love, and faithfulness. These two go together. They're sort of like pairs, if you would have it. They come up uh, together in scripture again and again and again. A lot of times, I didn't bother counting, but there is a lot of times. It's as if they're two parts, two sides of the same coin. I read this phrase this week. John Mark Homer says, God is love because he is faithful, and he is faithful because he is love. I'm like, oh. and I said it, you know, I said it kind of fast, but you get the point, right? God's Attributes, they're like different angles of the same one true, holy, perfect, great God. Right? And He's faithful, we say He's faithful, and that He keeps His promises. It's His way of saying, you know, I'm, I will pull through. I will not abandon you. I will not bail on you. And of course, this isn't, I want to say, just to re- throw it out there, you know, this isn't a blind or sort of wishful thinking. I mean, I even say, I say, my, my Jeddah is faithful. Oh, and, and when I say that, I don't say it wishfully. I say it because it's not broken down on me once in the last five years. <laughs> and how much more so when we say that God is faithful, we say that because of well, what he's done in history, who he says he is, how we've experienced him in our own lives, that we have reason to say he is faithful. Um, <clears throat> but I recognize I recognize that when I say this, that God is loyal love, he's abounding in loyal love and faithfulness to us, Uh, that I have talked to enough people to know that there are times in life when this just doesn't seem to be the case. That how can we just reconcile this idea? God says he's loyal love and faithfulness to me, but this just doesn't seem to be what I am experiencing it's at those moments, that disappointment, and God comes in, and frustration, and maybe that's something that you too, I know it, I've experienced it, but you've probably experienced that too, the sort of thing, like, why did, why did I lose my best friend in a car accident? Why was my child born still? Why did my spouse leave me for another person? These heart-rending questions, these heart-rending things that cause us to question God's faithfulness. I mean, I could go on with a list like this. So what are we to do about these? Well, I urge you, don't tap out. Don't tap out. No, at these moments when it's hard to reconcile God's goodness and what we see and experience in suffering and distress and death in this world, don't tap out. Press in. This is the moment to press in. Explore God for all of his depths to see who he is to you, to us. And so one of the ways, this is not exhaustive, I'll not say everything, but one of the ways to do that it's to press in and see, well, how does he do this in space and in time? See, God doesn't just claim he's loyal love and faithfulness. He acts on it. He acts on it through something called covenants. And so what I'll do is I'll take you to a place in the Bible where God makes covenant. Genesis 12, God calls this guy named Abraham, and he says, yo, I'm going to take you, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. I'm going to bless you to be a blessing. And this is kind of weird because Abraham, if you know the story, can't have kids. And he's like, God, really? And time goes by and disappointment comes in and frustration comes in. And eventually he takes the situation into his own hands. He has a child with one of his female servants. And this causes a whole mess that we're not going to go into. But in chapter 15, God shows up to him again. And this is a super strange Bible passage, but in this Bible passage, God shows up again, and Abraham's, oh, hey, God. Um, and he reminds him, God, you said, you said I would have descendants. And yet, what's going on? And God's response to him is this He's like, take some animals and cut them open and put them into rows. And we're like, what? What? Cut up animals? Yeah. We don't understand well, but Abraham knew what God was doing. God certainly knew what he was doing. God was inviting Abraham into an ancient covenant ceremony in which a king or a lord would make a promise to a lesser, a servant. They would make promises to each other. And the lesser, the servant, he would cut up animals and put them in two rows, and there would be an aisle where the blood would run down the middle. And the servant would, as the Lord and him made promises to each other of blessing. The servant would walk down that aisle of torn and bloodied pieces as if to say, if I fail to keep my end of the promise, I too will become like these torn and bloodied animals. I will take the curse as a servant. But then what happens? Does anybody know what happens next? That's right. This is an earthquake moment in the history of time. Abraham falls asleep, it says a deep, thick darkness fell on him, and he falls asleep, and in that sleep he sees fire and smoke go up that aisle. God walks the aisle, not Abraham, and it's as if God is saying to Abraham, I promise to bless you, and if you fail, or if I don't bless you, I will take the curse on myself. Not you, I will take the curse on myself. I will become torn and bloodied like these animals. That's an incredible thing. This is what the extent, if we pause here, of God's loyal love and faithfulness to his people. And then what do we find happen in history? Thousands of years later, one who claims to be God in the flesh. John said of him he was full of grace and and truth. Does anybody know what those words would translate into? Hebrew to Greek to English. We miss it. Yes. That Jesus is full of loyal love and faithfulness. He is the embodiment of it. He is the one that walked this earth faithfully to God, never giving up, never backing down, always firm, steadfast, never flaking, right to the point of death. Right? We see the darkness, the judgment of God come down again one day. And on a cross, Jesus, his flesh is torn apart by nails and a spear, and he bleeds out for us. That Jesus takes the curse that we deserve. We deserve? Yeah, we deserve. How so? at the beginning, I talked about us being like a resilient tree, and maybe you heard that. you think, yeah, I'm a resilient tree. But what you need to remember is that all of us, and I mean all of us, at one point in life or another have broken and fallen and lost our fruitfulness, if you would have it, under the weight of life's temptations and trials. We have all been broken in a broken tree is a dead tree, and that's the curse that we are under. But Jesus took the curse. Galatians 3.13 says that Jesus redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Jesus took the curse that we could have the blessing. What was the blessing? Eternal life with God. That we can have forgiveness from our wrong, from our sin, from our Our flakiness, the fact we don't keep our commitments. We can have that because Jesus has taken the curse for us and extended to us what was rightfully his, the eternal life, the blessing. And because he has done that, you can have new life in him. He can take your roots and put them, plunge them into his spirit that is never-ending and sustains them. That is the power of what Jesus has done for us, and you can have that too. You can have that too. You can be a person who under the winds and the waves and the whatever comes in life remains steadfast, not because of your own strength and ability and the fact you root yourself in you, no, but because you are rooted in him, the source of all life, streams of living water. This is the unending extent of God's loyal love and faithfulness to us. This is what he promises us. This is what he promises to us in distinction to what he doesn't promise us. What does he not promise us? He doesn't promise us he will never take a loved one away from you. He doesn't promise us he will never have a child Stillborn. He doesn't promise us your best friend won't die in a car accident. He doesn't promise us there won't be death, there won't be despair, there won't be trials, there won't be tribulation. He doesn't promise that. He says, what does he promise? In this world, you will have trials. But, but what? Take heart. <laughs> For I have overcome the world. Don't be disappointed, it's as if he says. I know this world isn't as it's supposed to be. But I have overcome it. How so? I too, he says from the cross, have experienced suffering. I too long to suffer alongside you. And eventually, he will return. His resurrection is a sure hope that despair and death and suffering and darkness will be done away with in him. It's a hope that we can hold on to, Hebrews says, unswervingly. Because he who promised is what? Faithful. So what happens? So what happens if you take this God, these examples of God letting you down? What happens if we take those examples and we take them to that night of darkness, that night in which Jesus was torn asunder and bloodied on the cross. What happens when we take those to the cross? See, the cross can't tell you what the reason is, but it can tell you what the reason isn't, and it isn't that God doesn't care. He cares, and he is faithful, and he is filled with loyal love towards you. God has demonstrated his faithfulness to us in saying that he will be with us in our suffering. There is no other God like that. As I come to a close, I want to give you some takeaways. Practically, what do I do when I feel like God has let me down? What do I do when I feel like God has let me down? First, I'll give you four things. Remember the promises of God. Because he is faithful, his word is sure. It's true. Remember what he doesn't promise us, health, wealth, the American dream, people won't die, no. But what he does promise us, what does he promise us? Let me read some to you. He promises us forgiveness of sin. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. He promises us that he will be with us. Isaiah forty one ten: do not fear for What? I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. He promises us peace and anxiety. Isaiah 26.3. You will keep them in perfect peace, whose mind is steadfast because they trust in you. And he promises us rest. Come unto me, all who are weary and burdened and i will give you rest take my yoke on me and learn of me for i am meek and lowly of heart and you will find rest for your souls so what to do when you feel like god has let you down remember recall remind yourself of his promises to you that even when you don't understand what's happening that he is still good so Recall his promises. Second, be honest. Be honest. Your father already knows, says Jesus, what your needs are before you even ask him. What do you have to hide from him? Tell him it, what it is, like, you know, as it is. <laughs> like in the Psalms, think of how David just pours out his heart to the Lord. My soul is cast down, oh my Lord. How could, like, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Be honest with God. He knows what you need before you ask him. So recall his promises. Be honest with him. Three, continue in worship. A few weeks ago, I was reading about a lady named Hannah in Samuel. She's not able to have kids either. You know what she does? She goes where the place of God is, where God is present. She goes to the tabernacle and she presses in and it says, she poured out her heart to the Lord in worship. You might not understand what God is doing in your life, but keep trusting him, even in the dark. Think of the words of Peter. Whom else shall we go, Lord? You have the words of eternal life. Who else promises to restore all things but Jesus? Corey Ten Boom says this. When a train goes through a tunnel and it gets dark, Don't throw away the ticket and jump off. Sit still and trust the engineer. So, what do we do when it feels like God let us down? Remember his promises. Be honest. Continue in worship. And finally, four, let him grow your character. This is what God is trying to do. You need to hear this. You need to know this. That as a Christian, that when trials and tribulations and temptations and suffering come in your life, that God is not punishing you. No. Why? Because Jesus has already endured the punishment for you by walking, that being torn asunder like those bloodied animals. He took the curse for you. There is no punishment of God left to be dealt on you. No. No. He is doing it in his own and mysterious way somehow. We don't always know how, but for our good and that can be comforting to us that he's using the things that we face the trials and the tribulations to make you more like him he's making you if you let him if you don't resist him in it if you open your heart to him in it more patient more kind more humble more faithful more loving this is the this is what these sort of things can do in our life. James 1, 2 says, consider it all joy when you face trials. As I was preparing for this, I came across Psalm 26 in a fresh way. Psalm 26 is the most, probably the famous, most probably the famous passage in the Bible. Does anybody know which one that is? 23, that's the one. Thank you. He was at the first service. Whatever. (laughs) Psalm 23. Uh, So don't answer. Which is it? The Lord is my shepherd. Yeah, good. Um, The very last verse of that, and it's talking about us going through valleys of the shadow of death, is the very last line of that says, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Or you could say, pursue me. That's the word. It will pursue me all of the days of my life. That is David saying, the psalmist saying, he is so ultimately convinced of God's goodness and mercy. He's like, it's not my enemies that are ultimately pursuing me. It's not the curse of sin and death that I deserve that's ultimately pursuing me. No, he is assured that ultimately what is pursuing him is God's said, His loyal love and goodness is pursuing him all the days of his life. God's goodness and loyal love is pursuing you. 2 Timothy 2.13, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. He will not uh, deny himself. Remember his faithful, loyal love towards you. I'll close uh, with one final illustration, and we'll go back to the illustration at the beginning of a tree. It was a resilient tree. How do I remain resilient when all of these winds of life come, like the ones we're in now. And if you think about it, each commitment that we take on in our life, things that we are faithful towards, like marriages, our jobs, our kids, family, you name it, things we commit to, are like those winds. They put pressure on our trees. They expose the weaknesses. They cause us to creep. How do we remain resilient without breaking, without falling, Growing deep roots, that's right. A way I want to illustrate this is something I heard Tim Keller say once. He talked about, you know what happens, you know, you go to Walmart and there's like that media section, and it's, it's full of like TVs and radios, and it's just super distracting, but what's going to capture your attention more? What's going to capture your attention more? You got the TVs and you got the radios, what's it going to be? It's going to be the TV. Why? I don't know, it's just... The image is more engaging. It's more in your face. You don't even hear whatever the advertisement is on the radio or whatever. And so it is, it seems, with the promises of God to us. Doesn't it feel that way? That we can just sort of tune them out, lose sight of them, forget them completely in the face of everything that we face. And so what then? How do we shift our perspective? Trials. This is why James can say, count it all joy when you face trials. Why? Because if you think about it, think of the person who has that near-death experience, who goes through suffering. What happens? They come back from that, and they're like, I'm changing my whole life. I'm reordering all these things. Why? Because they have this new shift, this new doth of perspective. They see now what really matters, and that's what trials and tribulations and suffering can do in your life, too, if you will. They can refocus your perspective. They can thin the veil, as it were, between heaven and earth and put heaven on video in the promises of God in his kingdom and as it were put the world on audio in the background distant not as swaying to us this is how you can delight in the law of the Lord and how you can be resilient with Him. so now um, I'll ask one final question what is it that God is calling you to what is it called, that God is calling you to be committing to? Marriage. Is it a marriage? Is it your children? I mean, for marriage, I saw my dad uh, give wedding vows. My, my mom passed away after years of cancer. Um, and this other woman that he had met, her husband passed away. After about 10 years of a chronic, dehabilitating illness. And to see the two of them, both widowers, after intense suffering, give vows of in sickness and in health. That was powerful. That was meaningful. That was no flippant, touchy feely sort of love. What is God calling you to commit to? It's not just marriage. It can be your children. It can be a friendship. Is it this city that you don't just consume from this city, but you contribute to it, that you're faithful? in your local community, in your neighborhood, in your church, to the people in authority over you? What is it? I'm going to close with that. And so let me pray for us, and we'll move into a time of response. Father, I thank you so much for your loyal love and faithfulness, that you are true, that you are sure, and that you pursue us with that, that we have nothing to doubt in you. I pray that you, by your Spirit, would make that real in us this morning, that we would know in our spirits that you would impress on us how true you are to us, that you will never leave us or forsake us. Jesus, make us more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, and so I'm going to move into a time of response. First is giving. I already gave the announcement at the beginning that we're part of Acts 29, and there's something called the Reach Canada Initiative. It's a video in your email. I'd invite you to check that out, click on that, and ask how God would have you give to that. I'd also invite you to give to our local church. If you're on the platform, you can click that uh, give button up at the top, and this is a way of sustaining what we're doing in this city for the kingdom of God to continue to extend. How are you investing in the kingdom of God. Um, And I'd also to invite us to respond through discussion questions. Think about um, these questions. For you who are watching online, we're going to turn you off in a minute, so I'd invite you to think about these with whoever you watched it with, or maybe call a friend. The questions are this. How are you experiencing the loyal love and the faithfulness of God? Next, What has God called you to, to be faithful? What has God called you to be faithful to? So there's almost the vertical sense to it and then the horizontal sense to it. And then finally, what did the Spirit say to you? Did he say anything specific to you this morning? So those are our discussion questions and I'm posing them to us here now as well so that you can be thinking, what did the Spirit say to me? Is he trying to bring me to repentance in any area of my life? And you can meditate on that as Raphaella sings for us and before we take uh, communion, which I'll explain to you in a minute. And then Jonathan's going to come up and facilitate the discussion for us. But for those of you who are joining us online, thanks so much for tuning us uh, in with us this morning. God bless you guys, and we'll look forward to seeing you again next week.